and welcome to the Get Started with Film Photography podcast. My name is Graham Young, and this is the third episode in the five-episode series on film. This one is color negative. I've also done a two-part episode, which is the first episode, general information about film, and I give some background on film formats and the history of film and some other things like that. Then I did a two-part episode on black and white film. This is the third episode, Color Negative. Then we still have two more coming up, Color Slide Film and Specialty Film and Expired Film. That'll be episode five, the Specialty Film and Expired Film. This one, I do believe I should be able to get done in a single episode or a single part and I won't have to split it between two, but we'll we'll see how that goes. Before I get into color film, I want to note that there's some overlap between this episode and the next two episodes. The one on color slide and specialty film and expired film. Color film is unlike black and white film in that it's made up of more than one layer of silver halide. And that those layers are actually in dye. There are two things that the dye does. One of the things that the dye does is that it filters out certain frequencies of light. So when the silver halide is reacting to light, it's only reacting to the light in certain frequencies. That makes a yellow dye a magenta dye, and a cyan dye. Now, I'm simplifying. Each one of those layers of colored dyes is actually a sandwich of several different layers. It is actually a sandwich of multiple layers. And those layers together make up one of the dye layers. So when I refer to dye layers, it's actually a sandwich of several different layers, including couplers and filter layers. It's it's just, there's a... There, there are, it's an incredibly complicated layer, layering system. During the development process, the layers go from a deep gray color to the color that they are. So in, when you shoot the film, you don't see the layers in color, but when, after you have it developed, after it goes through the developing process, then those layers actually take on their individual colors, so if you hold up the film, you can see that there are colors attached. When you shoot color film, when you first pull it out of the cassette and and look at it, everything looks gray. And you, it, to me, it's always a little bit of magic where we go from that gray to a developed set of layers of of varying colors within a color negative. So for color negative film or color print film. And that's what this episode is about. There are three layers. There's a yellow layer, a magenta layer, and a cyan layer. For slide film, those three layers are a red layer, a green layer, and a blue layer. When you hold up the yellow, magenta, and cyan color negative film to the light after it's been developed, you'll look at colors, but the colors will actually be inverted, which means that if you think of a color wheel, there are colors that are opposite of each other. Those uh, are complementary colors. That's another term for that. That's where all of the colors are 
when you hold it up to the light, all of the colors are the opposite of what they will be when printed. So that is one of the reasons why we refer to it as a negative. It is opposite. It is the negative. It is the inverse of what the final color image or the original color image will look like or did look like. Now, a slide film, that red, green, and blue set of layers will actually translate into a positive image. When you hold slide film up, and what's blue is blue, and what what's red is red, and what's dark is dark, and what's light is light, as opposed to the color negative film where everything is inverted, the, those three layers, the red, green, and blue layer, let light go through them, and then they reflect the actual colors when projected or scanned or uh, or, or printed. You can actually print these. You have to use uh, a special paper to print them on. The silver halide in each one of those layers will block some of that light coming through. So if we're in a negative, which we are for this episode, if we're in a negative, that silver halide will actually sit in the brighter areas. There's more halide in the brighter area. And what happens is when you print that, the inverse happens from from what's in the negative. And anywhere where the negative is dark, it ends up being light on the paper because that paper is being shielded from the light. That is, once again, exactly opposite of what happens with color slide film. With color slide film, what is dark gets the silver halide, and what's light has has no blocking properties. It le- allows the light to go through, and then the combination of red, green, and blue allowing all that light to go through gives you bright white light, or a bright white print if you end up printing it using the paper for printing slides. So that's the basic underlying technology. That's the basic concept of the color negative. And then also I've talked about the slides because I I wanted to have something to, to compare it to for this. And we'll talk about that again in the next episode when I talk about color slide film. All of the color negative film that's available today is what we call daylight balanced. Daylight balanced means that if you are shooting it outside on a bright sunny day, what is white outside will absolutely be that crisp white. Now daylight, daylight light has a color temperature of about 5,000 degrees Kelvin. I think it might actually be 5,500 or 5,600, but it's about 5,000 degrees Kelvin. And we measure light in degrees of Kelvin. Say you're shooting somebody outside on a bright sunny day and they're wearing a white shirt. That white shirt will be, when shot with daylight balanced film, it will come out white. It actually will come out a little bit blue or whatever because of the color of the sky or whatever bright light is bouncing around. So it'll, it'll take on a little bit of color cast from the bouncing light from around it. But if we're to, going to take that same person inside and shoot under what we call tungsten balanced light, and I'll talk about that in just a second, then everything using that same film will look yellow. And I think you've all probably done it. 
you've taken a picture with your phone or you've taken a picture with your digital camera uh, or even taken a picture with film camera in, uh, with a film camera indoors and everything comes out very yellowy well what's going on there is indoors the the light that we recognize as indoor light is balanced it is color balanced based on the glowing properties of an element called tungsten. Now, tungsten is the glowing metal object at the center of an old traditional light bulb. Tungsten was that material that they finally settled on that was ideal for light bulbs. It would last for a long, long time. It would produce quite a bit of bright light. It also produced heat, and it produced way more heat than it produced light. But so there was, there, it was visible in, say, the infrared spectrum. It was very, very visible. That tungsten balanced light is about 3300 or 3200 degrees Kelvin. And what that means is it's very on, very far on the warm end of the spectrum. It is down near the reds of the spectrum. And it produces what we call a warm white light. Now, for the most part, most of the world has transitioned away from those tungsten light bulbs. In fact, in the United States, it's illegal to sell the tungsten light bulbs because they're so energy inefficient. And they've been replaced by either compact fluorescent lights or they've been replaced by LED lights. One of the things that you can do with either the tungsten or the LED light is that you can adjust the colors of those very slightly so they have a warm interior light, or you can leave them at that bright outdoor light. And I'm sure we've all been in situations where we walk indoors and we get a very, very harsh, harsh white light. Well, that means it's a daylight balanced light. And, or we can walk in that same room with a different light bulb in there and it's a warm, soft light. And you'll see that listed. It, it you know, if you go buy a, a light bulb, at least in the United States, it'll be listed as warm white light. Or, you know, it, and it doesn't matter what the technology is. It could be LED. It could be compact fluorescent. Those are the different colors of light. And one of the things that's really nice about being a human is that our perception system will quickly adjust to different color temperatures and we will see things that are white as white, even though they're actually yellow indoors, or they might even have what we consider a blue cast out of doors. So as humans, our eyes adjust very quickly and give us, a, a, you know, a white piece of paper is going to look like a white piece of paper to us. That's because our eyes balance quickly. Well, recording devices such as film or digital sensors, they don't have that adjustment ability. Now, there's the software in a digital camera and a digital SLR. If you leave it on auto white balance, it will do its best. It, it, it usually can give you white light indoors or white object indoors, even though it's tungsten balanced. But every once in a while, it'll be fooled and you'll get a picture that's very, very yellow. Or you can set it manually to different color balances. 
However, film does not have that ability. It is made in the factory to reflect one type of light or another type of light, or I should really better say record one type of light or another type of light. So anything that is off from that type of light will then be rendered in a different color hue. In the past, you've been able to buy both tungsten-balanced film and daylight-balanced film. So, for instance, if you have an old Ektachrome 64, you can have Ektachrome 64T or Ektachrome 64D. And what that means is the D is for daylight-balanced, so you would shoot it out outside, and indoor-balanced would be the T film. However, today, if you're buying color print film, the only color that you're going to get is daylight balance film. Now, there there is one company that is producing tungsten balanced color print film, and they're doing it by converting movie film stock, cinema stock, and that is a company called Cinestill. And I will talk about Cinestill considerably more in episode number five, the episode on expired film and specialty film because it is really it is sold as color print film but it's really originally cinema film and I'm going to cover cinema film in that episode. This is a long roundabout way of talking about the fact that if you take daylight film which is every color print film and you shoot it indoors you're going to get a yellow color cast. Now, there are a couple of different ways of, of adjusting for that. You can put on a filter on the end of your lens to filter out the yellow and make it more blue. And it is a filter that is referred to as an 80A or an 80B. And 80A, I believe, is for 3200 and 80B is for like 3500. Kelvin light. If you use one or the other, you're not going to see a huge difference. If you were shooting something commercially, you might want to make sure that you get the exact color filter correct on there. But the other place that we can adjust for that is in the scanning. When you scan that image, you can adjust for that color shift and you can make all of the colors look very natural. Or if you really want to emphasize that you're shooting it on color, you can leave it at that very yellow film. That is certainly an effect, and it is certainly an effect that is desirable if that's what you want to go for. Like the black and white films that we discussed in the previous episode, the finer the grain of film, the slower the film, and the faster the film the more visible the grain is. You'll, you'll see a more visible grain structure. The range of film, the range of film speeds in color print is much smaller than it is in black and white. And we also have many fewer color film stocks being made today than we have black and white film stocks. That's one of the reasons why this episode is going to be a little bit shorter than some of the other episodes that I've done. Today, the slow film is 100-speed color print film, and Kodak Ektar uh, is one of those, and that's been uh, available worldwide, and it's a very, very fine 
film and it's a very it's a tea grain film in fact all kodak color film is tea grain film there's also now just recently put on the market in north america but it's been available in asia and south america and it's been available worldwide and it's called kodak pro image 100 now it's a special formula That formula is a special formula for very hot climates, and it has a very good resistance to heat and the color shifts that you get with other film due to heat and improper storage. So that has been on the market worldwide for several years, but it has just been now released in North America. So that's a new color film stock for us in North America, and I've yet to try it but I will be probably soon. The fastest color print today is 800 ISO film. And there is a Kodak Portra film at 800 ISO. Now, Portra is the flagship line of Kodak's color print film. And so anything Portra, and there are three different Portras. There's Portra 160, There's Portra 400 and there's Portra 800. So there is, in that case, there's a slow film, the 160. There's a medium film, the 400. And then there's a fast film, the 800. There are a very large number of different ISO 200 films and ISO 400 films. Fuji makes several. Kodak makes several. And there are some legacy emulsions out there that are no no longer being produced, but they're certainly available. As I mentioned, all of the Kodak range of color print films employ the T-grain structure. It is unclear to me, I wasn't able to find any research that said whether the Fuji films are T-grained or not. Now, they both have T-grain black and white film, or Fuji did before they discontinued it. They both have that technology, but it's unclear whether Fuji is employing that in their color print film or whether their color print film is traditionally grained. There are only three companies worldwide making color print film. There is Kodak in the United States, Fuji in Japan, and Svima in Ukraine. And it is unclear whether the Svima is still manufacturing their film or whether they're selling stocks that they have previously manufactured. But as far as I know, we can consider them a current manufacturer of color print film. And they have a 125 called Svima Color. And a lot of people really swear by that film. I have yet to shoot it, so I can't tell you what its qualities are. I'm going to guess, based on the other film that is produced by, by Svima, that it is a traditionally grain film, not a tea grain film. Now, the Kodak line of films, all of their color films are tea grain film, or Delta film, or T-Max film, or tabular grain, whatever you want to call that. It is that higher contrast, higher saturation, tea grained film. It is unclear to me from my research whether Fuji uses T-grain structure for its color print film or whether it's traditional grain. I looked, I looked, and I looked, and I just, I can't find whether it's traditional grain or that the 
tabular green. So it, um, I just don't know. I do know it looks very good. I shoot a lot of Fuji color film. I shoot a lot of Kodak color film. Now, those three manufacturers also sell their film to wholesalers and what we would call rebadgers or people who take that film and label it under their own label and sell it. Companies like Lomography would be some of those rebadgers. Now, Lomography, I believe, uses both Fuji and Kodak film in their color print film. But they, again, I'm going to, to, to warn you, they'll sell it under the same name, but they will switch manufacturers depending on availability. I'm going to go ahead and take a short break at this point. Unlike black and white film that can be developed using multiple different developers to get different effects based on that developer, all color print film is developed using the C41 process. So that means that it doesn't matter what brand or what speed of film, you can develop it all using the same process. And one of the reasons why they did that was up until very recently, it was very difficult to develop color print film at home because there were no development kits available. And so what that meant was if you had color film, you had to take it to a lab. You had to take it to uh, a drugstore. You, you had to take it to a photo finisher to have it developed and printed or developed and scanned. We now have available kits to develop color print film at home. Because of this single development process, it does make it simpler for us, but it does remove some of that fine control that we can have by developing different films with different developers. So there's a plus and a minus to that whole situation. I want to talk a little bit about shooting color print film. Color film generally has a fairly wide latitude. And latitude is a little bit different from dynamic range, but they're similar ideas. Dynamic range is all about how far away the dark areas that you can register detail in and the light areas that you can register detail in, how many stops away they are from each other. Latitude means where is that middle ideal point? So if you think about a long curve... How flat that top end of the curve is, is very important. Think of it this way. If you have a three-stop flat curve at the top, or nearly flat curve at the top, that means you can, you can shoot that film at any one of those three stops and still get very good results. That is the concept of latitude. So say we have 200 speed film that has a very flat top, you can shoot it at 400 speed, you can shoot it at 100 speed, so 400 speed would be one stop under, 100 speed would be one stop over, and get essentially similar results in that middle tone area. And that would be latitude. Color print film generally has a very wide latitude. In fact, the Portra line of films is renowned 
to have a very wide latitude. It's, it is upwards of three and a half to four stops of shoot anywhere in that range and you'll get great middle tones and you'll also get some detail in the low end, in the dark end, or you're, you'll get some detail, uh, up in the high end. Now think about this. If you want a lot of detail, say you're outside shooting in the snow, you would want all of your detail at that overexposed end. So you might underexpose the film by one stop or two stops in the middle, and then you're going to have a wide range of details there on the overexposed end. Because you're you're underexposing that middle range, you're getting much more detail in that that wide wide dynamic range off on the overexposed end of the of the film. That's one of the great things about color print film is that latitude in the middle. The dynamic range of color print film is actually just a little bit less than that of black and white film. It the the stop range is usually about 10 to 12 depending on the film stock, usually on the 12 end. And we'll talk a little bit uh, about that in the next episode, where color slide film very rarely has more than a 10-stop range. So it, you you have to expose, it, it has almost no latitude. You have to expose right in the middle to make sure that you get anything on either side of that. Color print film, as I was describing there, can be shot at box speed, or it can be overexposed, and it's usually overexposed. So say you take 400 speed film, you can shoot it at 200 overexposed by one stop or 100 overexposed by two stops. And you'll get, all you're going to get is more saturated colors. You're going to get a little bit fuller of a, of a range. Now, if you have very, very bright areas in that, in that scene, you might get blocked up white highlights but you're going to have a really good range of colors and your colors are going to be a little bit brighter. I can remember being at a Ritz camera store in the mid-1990s. And Ritz camera store in the United States was a big chain. They were in all the malls. And they were. Oh, there was also another half of that company called Blacks. So it's Ritz and Blacks. And they were all over. And... Uh, you either had a Ritz camera or you had a Blacks camera and they were all over the place and they were very consumer oriented. And I remember uh, an older woman coming in and she's she was really worried. She brought in her film and I'm just standing next to the desk at this point. And she said, I, I, I ruined this film. I overshot it by 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 uh, I, it's 400 speed film and I had 100 on, on the, I've ruined my film. And, you know, and you could you could hear just the panic in her voice. And the, the guy behind the counter, who was a little bit smug, a little bit over smug at that point, says, best thing you could have done, popped it in an envelope. And she went, what do you mean? You know, and, and he never really did explain that color print film has this wide latitude. He never did go through that explanation. And it's, it's really unfortunate. Um, but it, it really, seriously, I, I will almost guarantee you, 95% of her pictures turned out wonderfully or 95% of each one of those pictures turned out wonderfully. So it, it, color print film really has that wide latitude and you can overexpose it. And I know people who generally overexpose film by a rule 
by just the rule of thumb. When they're shooting film, they're going to overexpose it. And color print film, they just get more saturated colors. Now, there is also... There's a little hybrid, and I didn't bring this up in the black and white episode, mostly because the black and white episode went very long. This one's a little bit more reasonable in length. So I'm going to bring up here the not-quite-color color film. In the 1990s, and it probably came about, they probably figured this out probably in the 1980s, was that there was a lot of access for consumers to color print developing. As I said, everybody, you walk into almost any store and they've got a photo desk and they've got a, a one hour photo and, and you go in, you drop off your film, they give you prints and, and it, you're great to go. The problem was they only did the C41 process. They couldn't do black and white film. Generally, they would take the film and then send it off to a lab and some, and the lab would produce the, the, the black and white film and then they would send it back. So your one hour photo is now a five day or a 10 day photo. So what they did, and there were two companies that really developed it, although three companies manufactured it and, and produced it. The, the, the two companies that did this was Kodak and Ilford. And what they did was they said, well, we can take color print film and get rid of those color layers and instead just have one layer that is a gray layer and have it develop just the same way in C41 process. And we refer to this as chromogenic black and white film. And so what that would do is you would shoot your film, you take it to a one hour photo and they could develop it in that C41 and then they would give you prints. And often the prints would have a little bit of a color cast. Like I remember there was one, one place I would take this and it would come back a little bit green. And then there was another place and it would come back a little bit glue, blue, a little bit blue, a little bit blue. And then there was another place and it would come back a little bit magenta. And what they were doing was they were balancing out that light for this black and white film that really didn't need balancing. It needed to be neutral. And it, it was the machine that was doing it. So the printing was not always great, but you could get black and white. You could get monochrome pictures from color print film. Now, the two companies were Ilford in the UK and they made a film called XP2. And XP2 has uh, gone through several uh, different versions. And I forget what the version is that's available today. It's Super or Pro or something like that. But you're looking for XP2. Then in the United States, there was Kodak 400CN. And that was the color process, the 400CN. And there's also, they, they, they came up with a couple of different versions of that. It is processed via C41 and it gives you that black and white print. Now, Ilford and Fuji worked together for a short period of time and Ilford licensed the technology to Fuji and Fuji came out with a Neopan CN. And it was once again a 400 speed film that you could process in using a, 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 a C41 process. The only company still making that is Ilford. And so you can still get Ilford X-Pro 
and you can develop it along with your C41. So once again, you don't have to figure out, you know, which which chemistry do I use for this and which is going to look better and what are the times and what are the temperatures and all that type of stuff. You just do it C41 process along with your color print film. Now, one last thing, and I will talk about this much more in the episode five of the film series, the episode on expired and specialty film. Color print film is subject to degradation from high heat. And what that does is it makes the color dyes shift. So what was pure magenta at one point is going to shift. And I don't know which direction it shifts, whether it, it shifts to the yellow or whether it shifts to the green. But it's going to shift, and as it shifts, it is going to render colors with less than what you would say the highest fidelity. So fresh color film is the film that will render colors very well. But older expired color print film can often be very shifted and the quality can go down quite a bit. Now, there's a whole subculture of people who just shoot expired film and just love that 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 degraded image. You really need to be careful when handling your color print film. Now, color print film when you get it is probably been stored at room temperature up to the point when it gets to you. Probably it's it's cold stored when it's at the manufacturers, but as soon as it gets to the, to the distributors, it's stored at room temperature. And then, you know, it's shipped on trucks and it's, you know, it, it's subjected to some heat. It takes more than a couple of days at, say, 120 degrees to really degrade color print film. If it's there, if you leave, say, some film in your car for a month and you live somewhere like I do in Florida during the summer where we have ambient air temperatures above 95 degrees for weeks on end, then, and the, the, the temperature in the car can be 130, 140 degrees, then you can, you can understand that the film would, will start to degrade. But most film, by the time it gets to you is is still fresh and it will be it will have good color fidelity. If you're worried about that, you can store your film either in the refrigerator or the freezer. Now, the refrigerator will retard the degradation of the film. The freezer will stop the degradation of the film. I have some film from the 1980s that has been freezer kept since the 1980s, not by me. I bought it uh, online, bought it on eBay, that should be color shifted and is not because it was kept in that frozen state. So if you want to keep your film in its best state, put it in the freezer. And then when you take it out, just let it sit out for an hour. Just, and what you, you know, you could shoot it right away, but you may get some condensation from the air on that color, on that cold film. And then that will, will degrade your image. But other than that, you can, you can just let it sit out. You know, if you know you're going to shoot tomorrow, take it out today. It'll acclimate to the right temperature and then you'll be perfectly fine shooting. 
I have two more episodes in the series. I'm still going to be talking about color slide film and then expired and specialty film. I do have a feeling that expired and specialty film will probably be a two-parter, but I think the color slide film will be a one-part episode just like this one. If you have any questions, I have a once-monthly podcast of questions and answers. If you have a question, go to the website, getstartedwithfilm.com, and fill out the form, or send me an email, graham at getstartedwithfilm.com, and that's spelled G-R-A-H-A-M at getstartedwithfilm.com, and put in the subject line whatever the subject of the question is, so I know how to organize each question. If you are on Instagram, you can follow the feed of the show at Get Started With Film. If you hashtag your posts, Get Started With Film, I have a pretty good chance of seeing your work and I might feature it in the show's feed. Our music comes from filmmusic.io. This track is Poofy Real by Kevin McLeod of Incomptech.com and it's licensed through Creative Commons.